You know, one of the great <laughs> questions in the baptismal covenant, one of the things I love about our, our baptismal ceremony is there's a handful of questions that get asked of the, of the candidate. And one of them is, when you sin, will you repent and return to the Lord? And the, the cool thing I like about that question is it's not if you sin, it's when you sin, will you repent and return to the Lord. So it really takes into consideration the reality of fallen human nature. The challenge you have and the challenge that police officers have and and lots of first responders is, man, they are getting a nightly dose of what that sin looks like. Yeah. And that's a challenge. And that's a challenge you have to be very intentional about refilling your cup spiritually to make sure that you don't recognize only – to make sure that you're not seeing just the fallen part, but that you're able to see the redemption part as well. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook, the podcast where we welcome business leaders, CEOs, and industry experts to discuss the rise to the top, building wealth, and real estate insights. Here's your host, Jeremy Spann. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. For more information on this show, you can go to our website, myexperiencedrealtor.com. That's experience with an ED at the end of it, myexperiencedrealtor.com. Click on podcast. You can download this episode and all other episodes from all the many different platforms that are on there. Of course, if you're looking to buy and sell real estate anywhere on the planet, go to the landing page, click find a trusted professional. Even if you're not buying real estate in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, we're going to make sure that you get a trusted professional that will look after your financial interests no matter where you buy real estate anywhere on the planet. But we're not here to talk about real estate today. Today, we are here to talk about, as you click on that podcast button, click read more as you scroll down to Father David Madison. How you doing, mi amigo? It is so good to see you. We can talk about real estate if you want. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have much to say, but if you want to talk about real estate, we certainly can. Hey, the show's not about me. The show is about the guests. Well, it is good to see you. It's been yeah. a while since we've been able to get together and have a have a good long conversation. So, so when the guy that helps you get forgiven for sin says, "Let's have a long conversation," David, you have had you've had many conversations out of me going, "Hey, just remember, God still loves you." <laughs> we've had a couple, but had that's a couple. all good. That's all good. <laughs> So for the audience, before we dive in, knows that my father-in-law told me when I was going to start a show that I should do a joke. So intentionally, I do bad jokes. So this is the the dad joke the bad I've heard dad so jokes, much about. Okay. Right? I'm excited about this. Okay. Well, this one I thought would be fitting for you, know, you being a father in the Episcopal world is, how long did Cain hate his brother? How long? Did Cain hate his brother? How long? As long as he was able. Hey, there we go. I like it. I like it. So for the audience, David and I go back many, many years to All Saints Episcopal Church. How and long? It's been a while. It How been long has it been? It's long. been. I was ordained in, let's see, 2004. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think right. that's about, that's about right. when we met. Yeah. Is that, that is, I think so. That is, yeah. that's, about, that's, probably, that's probably pretty close to, yeah. to accurate because when we were all at All Saints and then we had the, 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 the well, what do we call it, the Young Professionals Group? Young or, adult, yeah, we young had a adults. Young Adults Group. It was a, an affinity group. I think, it was, yeah. I think we called it the Young Adults Group. Yeah. It's a great group. Oh, man. Yeah. Chris and Jen Swartz, Will and Tom and Allie Brackett. I mean, we just we had some great folks in there, and it was great. I mean, not just – for coming together in a community in the Episcopal Church, but just learning from each other and just, it, man, it was just, it was a bond that we all built that we've all stayed very close friends. After all these years, it's just, we've all gotten busy and now we're doing a bunch of different things and you're doing different things. And we're all, we're all it's funny because we're all doing different things and thinking back to the to those conversations those meetings you're on probably your second or third career since then oh, see, i'm on my probably second or third yeah. flavor of ministry yeah. so yeah. it's kind of interesting we've all you know i've always said that god doesn't work in a straight line no. it's no. always kind of zigs and zags and i i know i've experienced that personally and and professionally as well 
I know you have too. Oh yeah. And if we ever want to make God laugh, we just tell him our plan, right? That's exactly right. Oh yeah. You you, you tell tell God your plan or tell God your timeline. Yes. And uh, yeah, that yeah. that's what makes God I laugh. got that line from you by the way. Many many years ago. I preached that line many many times. <laughs> so Unfortunately, you probably have had to hear that line many, many times. Well, it's really funny. It's like when some people say that they're sitting in church and as the sermon is being delivered, like, oh, I felt it. I felt that they were looking straight at me. And everybody feels that sitting in there, except for, no, you were staring straight at me when you were doing it. You're like pointing at you. Hey, everybody else in there? Yes, you, Span. Huh? Uh, well, I, I mean, my. My thesis is I think most preachers are preaching to themselves. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I really think that a lot of what preachers preach has to do with what they're bringing and their experience as well. I frequently kind of think I have like four or five sermons that I I, I use bits and pieces from, and they're all talking – saying things I need to hear as well. Right. So it's kind of interesting how if you do it properly, you know, the person who's preaching is – is getting an experience from that. The person who's listening is getting experience from that. It's really a cool community experience when you get to preach. So where were you born? Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Baton Rouge, Baton Rouge Louisiana. I'm actually headed down there for work this weekend. But I was born in Baton Rouge. You mm-hmm. want to talk about, you know, God not working in straight lines. I was born <laughs> in Baton Rouge. I spent, I was there, I think, the first three, maybe four years of my life. Then went to Longmeadow, Massachusetts. My dad was in the insurance business. And so we ended up in Longmeadow, Massachusetts for a couple of years. Then from there to Austin. And then from there to Fort Worth. And so Fort Worth, I made it here about fourth grade and then have been here ever since. So really grew up. I mean, all those places were formative, but really Fort Worth has been the most formative place in my life so far. And you went to school where in Fort Worth? Went to school. I graduated from All Saints here in Fort Worth, All Saints Episcopal School in Fort Worth. It's a great program, pre-K through 12th grade program. Um, now located on a beautiful campus on the west side of Fort Worth, right outside of Loop uh, 820. A beautiful place. Wonderful program. And uh, that was a formative experience for me just because of I was blessed to have wonderful chaplains. I was blessed. You know, one of the big things about Episcopal schools is how they approach religious formation. And they approach religious formation really as adults that are walking alongside of kiddos as they're trying to figure those things out. And so that experience was very formative for me. And it allowed me to work through some different questions I had about God, different questions I had about theology. And just that whole experience there really took root. Since I'm wearing a collar now, obviously, uh, it took root. But that's where I that's where I graduated. I still kind of look at that experience as one of the most formative experiences in my life, which is why I think I felt called to go back into school ministry. I started at a parish here at All Saints, then moved over to uh, All Saints Episcopal School. I fell in love with that ministry, did everything there from teaching kindergarten religion to I ended as the assistant headmaster and was running the upper school or the high school and then got called into association work. I went to the Southwestern Association of Episcopal Schools and for six years with the ex- executive director there and I'm now working with the National Association. So I just feel honored to be able to now serve those who serve in Episcopal schools. And so we can take that great experience that I had at All Saints and now hopefully duplicate that and make sure that kids all across the country have that experience. So you leave All Saints Episcopal School as a young graduating senior. Where do you go to college? Austin College. The Fighting Kangaroos. Fighting Kangaroos. Austin College is a small liberal arts school in Sherman, Texas. About what is that? About an hour north of Dallas? Yeah, maybe about an hour and a half. Yeah. Although it, it's funny because that used the drive from Dallas to Sherman used to be pretty rural. Right. Not it's, no more. It's not anymore. You, in the real estate business, you know that better than anybody. <laughs> it is packed. Yeah. Now it's almost a suburb of Dallas now. Yeah. But when I was there, it wasn't. It wasn't that way. It was you felt kind of further. There was nothing. There, there really was wasn't. farmland. What was north yeah. of you got Dallas and Plano, and I can't remember what was north. There was one other community that was north. Yeah, uh, I can't remember. But and then nothing yeah. until you got to until you got to Sherman. Sherman. But yeah, I've had a really ecumenical school experience because I went to a Catholic school through eighth grade, then a Episcopal school in high school, Presbyterian undergraduate, loved that experience, and then went to Baylor for law school. 
<laughs> so I had a Baptist law school and then two Episcopalian seminaries, two Episcopal seminaries. Well. So you've literally done the buffet I, I have worked, of, yeah. of everything. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, you know, the only thing one you're missing right about now is a Pentecostal one. Yeah, you didn't get, yeah, you I mean, get yeah. one of those in yeah. there, did you? Or <laughs> so, snake charming school? Maybe, or <laughs> maybe, I'll go, maybe I'll go to Pentecostal dental school. <laughs> you know, try to round out. Round out my religious experience some more. So you you graduate law school, and if I remember correctly, you went straight to law school at a college, right? Yeah. yeah. And so you graduate law school. What do you do after law school? So uh, came back to Fort Worth and practiced practiced law here for a couple of years, and it just I enjoyed it, but it just wasn't right for me. Yeah. What kind of law? Primarily civil litigation. Okay. So a firm here in town, Pope Hardwick. Yep. And I loved that experience, but it it wasn't right for me. Yeah. It wasn't really. And, and as I was going through law school, some of these ideas about, you know, am I called to be a priest? Am I called to, to, to be a minister? That started unfolding, but that was also, you know, trying to figure out, well, maybe I'm called to do that within the context of the law practice and all trying to work through all of those things. Practice law for about three years and then just – decided that it's not what I'm called to do. And so then went into the ordination process and then went to a seminary at a place called Neshota House outside of Milwaukee where you learn about cheese curds <laughs> and you learn about, you know, you think Dallas Cowboys fans are serious until you meet Green Bay Oh man, fans. Oh, and it's familiar. A, yeah, it's a different yeah. – yeah, it's a different level of fandom. One of, my, one of my closest friends I did my MBA with at TCU – is from Wisconsin, and and he has been. He comes from a family legacy company, Regalware. We're also on many other companies like Salad Master. So while we were doing our MBAs, he was the president of Salad Master, and then his dad was getting close to retirement, so he went up to the larger company and took over as CEO. And so we we still stay in very good contact, and I I, I may get a point that at least once a year because he's got you know company seats to the game. Matter of fact, he was texting me last night like, "Hey, the game we want to do." I didn't realize it was a way game. Give me another one, and we go out there. And you're not kidding. You think fandom in Dallas Cowboys is it? No, it is like it's like two square miles surrounding the stadium of nothing but tailgates. It's different. It is. It is the party palace, right? And, and yeah, it, it is. Lambeau Field, man. There is something about that. It is. There? It is a serious, serious. Uh, it's just. It, it's a cool community. I loved. I loved the Midwest. Yeah. I really enjoyed. I loved Chicago. Yeah. I loved that part of the country. But then finished up my time there, and then came back to Fort Worth. And then my first assignment was at All Saints Church, where we met. Yeah. And yeah, and the rest is history. Yeah, and and for the audiences, David came to All Saints. During a time that I was on a, no, I want to say I was on a, I was on a path of trying to find out where I belonged in the world of God. Are we all on that path? I think so. (laughs) I mean, so it was, you know, it was just a very, there was a lot of, I think it could be very challenging for people like me, been in the military and in law enforcement and seen and done things in this world that probably no human should have to see or do, and then question God, right? Right. right. Or question the existence of God. Or, and then you throw it in, you know, I'd done an undergrad at, 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 ended up doing my undergrad at TCU where you take all these religion classes and you got all these different ones and, and, and all of this, and there was a lot of confusion that sat around me, but there was something about All Saints Episcopal Church that just it was, you know, when you when you when you when you spent the majority of your life of people trying to hurt or kill you because that was the role you signed up for, you never feel safe anywhere. Like I mean, evil's lurking around the corner. Right. You know, hey, no, I knew I did believe in God in the sense of my ticket should have been punched a million times. And the only reason I was walking on this earth is because there had to be a God that said, no, it's not your time yet. Probably because he believes that I'm cable TV for him. And and so but I was just, you know, I was in the, I was not in the greatest place in my life. You know, this is before I had met Laura and married and had a kid and everything else. And. And uh, but I mean you remember right? I mean we don't have to go yeah. in and talk about the personal details of it. But I was in a 
was in a very unique place in my life at that time. Well, and I'm trying to think. You were you were a police officer at that point, right? Yeah. I kept trying to think yeah. where. Yeah, because you were out yeah. of the military. Yeah, you were work- Yeah, and, and I mean that's one of the biggest challenges because you were getting a daily, nightly. Can't remember if you worked nights then. Or yeah, not. I was working midnight. That's what yeah. I was thinking. You you get a nightly dose of human nature. Yeah, and a nightly reminder. Of the reality of sin. You know, one of the great <laughs> questions in the baptismal covenant, one of the things I love about our, our baptismal ceremony is there's a handful of questions that get asked of the of the candidate. And one of them is, when you sin, will you repent and return to the Lord? And the, the cool thing I like about that question is it's not if you sin, it's when you sin, will you repent and return to the Lord. So it really takes into consideration the reality of fallen human nature. The challenge you have and the challenge that police officers have and and lots of first responders is, man, they are getting a nightly dose of what that sin looks like. Yeah. And that's a challenge. And that's a challenge you have to be very intentional about refilling your cup spiritually to make sure that you don't recognize only – to make sure that you're not seeing just the fallen part, but that you're able to see the redemption part as well. Yeah. Which, unfortunately – I mean, you saw some of that. But unfortunately, as a first responder, you sometimes don't get to see the redemption piece. <laughs> That you know, what I mean, that yeah. comes. That comes. Later. You get to see the judgment piece. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that that's why it's especially challenging for first responders. And did y'all have? Did y'all have chaplains? Y'all had chaplains. We did. We yeah. did. And you know, that it, probably helped a little bit. Yeah, and you know, I had never really taken into that. You know, I, I always thought avoidance was always the best answer. <laughs> And uh, like with the water leak, you know, right. the, be- the best strategy is to ignore it. Yeah, because it'll, it'll, it'll go, go away, away right? Yeah, it'll go away. <laughs> Only if you stop paying your water bill. <laughs> so it's just, but I, I, I won't forget is I was pretty angry at God for a lot of things. Sure. Right. I mean, like I said, is you can't lead a life of, you know, I mean, let's face it, like when you go enlist to become an on the ground, person in the Marine Corps or any other combat element, they're not going, hey, let's teach you how to make cupcakes, right? Right, right. They're teaching you to become extremely aggressive, extremely violent, and to learn how to become more violent than the opposing force because, you know, the object is to win, to teach us to go out and kill the enemy better than they can kill us. And that was my life, right? Was And it was nothing personal or anything else, but you – you lead a life like that and then evolve into law enforcement where no one calls 911 to say, hey, would you like to have a cup of coffee? Responding to homicides, domestics, just every shit thing you can think of, sure. right? Uh, leading all the way up to domestic homicides, right? And in all these, as a matter of fact, I always volunteered to work every Christmas. So that way the married guys could many of them could be off me with their families that's nice but the two days that i did not volunteer to work was mother's day and easter and it wasn't because i wanted to go spend time with mom or go do lent or anything else for easter sunday it is because those in the history of law enforcement are the two most domestic involved days because that's what happens when you put family together and they don't like each other and then they start you know acting out and so I was questioning a lot of things at that point in my life. Is like, okay, I believe there's a God, but why, why is he letting this happen, right? Why, why is this going on? And I was very angry. I was, I was angry. Remember sure. that? You remember that? I, mean, I was pretty. I was a pretty angry person. And then you you apply the anger to someone that's been trained to be a very violent, aggressive tool that can end poorly. It can end yeah. very poorly, and so. I remember when the first time you and I sat in your office that was upstairs at the oh yeah and 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 we had and that was the most open real conversation I had ever had with someone of saying, yeah, let me tell you what's on my mind right now and I was like I was very angry at God and then you said something that just blew the doors off my ears that I was like, what did he just say because you went it's okay to be angry at him and I went, what, what? That was part of my conflict. I didn't think I was supposed to be angry with our creator. And you're telling me that it's okay. 
And then that's when I knew that you and I would be lifelong friends because I was like, this guy is not going to tell me what I want to hear. He's going to tell me the truth. Right. And from there, we've had a friendship for almost two decades. Why do you think that's such – because for a lot of people, that's a challenging concept. Why do you think it's such a challenging concept to think that you can be angry at God? Because it is, that's, right? I mean, yeah, a, a, really lot, is. a that's lot a of good people, question. I've had that conversation a lot. Yeah. And I mean, scripture, there's all, we don't need to go through all the references, but there's all sorts of examples in scripture about people, you know, being angry with God. Job is the, is the one that people typically go to. Yeah. That's, not, that's not the only one. But I, I've all, I, I wonder about that, why that whole concept, because if, if you, if you really believe it's a loving relationship, you get angry with your wife. Mm hmm. I mean, we get angry with our parents. We get angry with, you know what I mean? So I mean yeah. no, but, I, but it's a stumbling block for, for some people. Well, and I think it's because I, I think for me personally, it was it's okay to be angry at my daughter. It's okay to be angry at my wife. And it's okay to be angry at my family and friends and everybody else because they're human. God's not human. Right. So if God's not human, God is supposed to be all things perfect. Right. Then why does he let all this happen? Right. Right. And and then I felt guilt for being angry, but yeah. I was angry. I mean, man, I you know it's really kind of funny. I haven't really thought about this in a long time. Is I was a very angry person. <laughs> I was saying, I mean, you remember those days? Like I was. I mean, I'm already intense as it is, you know. But I mean, I was angry. <laughs> and and so that did help. And yeah. and then when you manifested all of us coming together for that group is creating community right right that helped me right because it's a lifelong struggle right nobody 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 goes and waves a magic wand and everything's good overnight but i haven't was, seen that yet yeah well if you do let me know i will i, I didn't will. think it could happen yeah. but if it does I would, I would love to hear that story but but you 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 were very magical about how you were able to bring this group and create a community that allowed all of us to come together and go, you know, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And that's also, I think it was, I had more comfort in being angry at God than comfort in acknowledging that everything could be okay. Does that sound weird? So you had more – say I was that more, again. I was more comfortable with being angry at God than I was with being comfortable with saying or accepting that everything could be okay. Yeah. Well, part of that was some of the things you had seen. Yeah. yeah. I mean that's – you know, coming out of some of the things that you've seen. Yeah, I, that's, I understand that, that everything would be okay. To date, you hadn't seen a lot of everything being okay, had you? No, not, not up to then. Yeah, and right? so yeah, but yeah, I mean, God is strong enough, like like any other relationship we're in. God is strong enough to 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 withstand our anger. You know, being angry at God has nothing to do with you know that never ending grace, that never ending element of the Good Shepherd that He will always come after us, even when we're in dark places. You know, we use godly play as a curriculum for for teaching Bible stories to to the little ones, and one of my favorite stories is the the parable of the good shepherd. And and what we learn with that story is that the promise God makes is to never abandon us in the dark place. He's never promised us that we won't find ourselves in dark places. And that's what I think sometimes people think. That if I, you know, follow Christ, if I do all these things, nothing bad is going to happen to me. We haven't been promised that. That's never been the promise. The promise is he won't abandon us when we're in those dark places. And that's kind of what you experienced in your life, really. I mean, you've been through those dark places and you've journeyed through and you've wrestled through and God was with you that entire time. Uh, in the same way, he promises to be with us regardless of the dark places. It would be wonderful if there weren't dark places, but until we are all, you know, in the next world, we're going to be surrounded by some dark places. Yeah. Where, you know, my gosh, look at the news today. I mean, there are some amazing, just horrible, horrific things that we're seeing on the news today. The promise is that that's not the end of the story. That's what we celebrate every Easter, and that's what we celebrate in following Christ. So 
you you hit a bunch of different sectors of religion. What was it that, out of all of them, drew you to the Episcopal Church? Because you got to experience all of them. I pre. <laughs> I mean, like I said, other than the snake biting one, I think you touched them all. So, so what was it about the Episcopal Church that drew you in the most? I love the concept. Well, this is an Anglican concept. I love this concept of faith seeking understanding, and that's what really attracted me to being a member of the Episcopal Church. And when I finally realized, okay, this is this is my home spiritually, it is going back to that group that we had together, that community. It's this idea that we are a community of faith, but we don't have all the answers. We are seeking the answers, but at the core, we are a people of faith that are seeking understanding. That's different from some other approaches to Christianity where everything is presented to you as, here's the formula. Here's the answer to everything, and just, you know, sign off on this covenant, and you'll be fine. We recognize that life's a little more complicated than that. And what are we to make of those dark places that we see out there? And what are we to make of challenges that we're facing right now that couldn't have even have been envisioned when Christ walked the earth 2,000 years ago? We believe in... This wonderful idea that there's different sources of revelation. We come to understand God through Holy Scripture. We also come to understand God through the traditions of the church and through what the church has said, Scripture has said over the thousands, the thousands of years that we've had sacred Scripture. But then we're also guided by the Holy Spirit. It's an open tradition, the fact that we're guided by the Holy Spirit. And we recognize that, you know what? Truth evolves. True, we come to a fuller understanding of truth as God continues to reveal um, himself to us. That's what I love about the Episcopal Church. It's not a place where we will profess to have all the answers. We certainly have some fundamental core answers about things, but we don't have all the answers. And that's okay. That's not for everyone either. I mean there's yeah. a, that that is not for that is not for everyone. It's not, you know, that that approach makes some Christians very uncomfortable. But it's the approach that makes the most sense for me. And I think it's the approach that that recognizes the beauty of the tradition and recognizes the importance and the centrality of Scripture while also recognizing that God continues to reveal himself to us with each passing day, with each passing year. Because everything's easy, right? That's right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, and, and you know, that's what, that's what troubles me about some, some Christian traditions because it kind of does present as if everything's easy. You know what I mean? It right. does. Just follow this. Just do this. Just do this. Everything will be fine. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. Not really. Yeah. I think <laughs> I things tend to be a little more a little more complicated. But that that really I don't know that that if I had to you know point to one thing that made me fall in love with the Episcopal Church, I think that's it. So and even within the Episcopal Church is you know we had put this incredible group together and. With some very opinionated folks in the, in that group. Oh yeah, we great are, people, great humans, yeah. different then, opinions, different perspectives, arguments. Yeah. You know, but all within community, which is the key yeah. thing. And then we had the unfortunate experience of watching some division occur. Right? Yeah, that's. And the I other. know that's a landmine. I understand if we don't want to touch that landmine because it's a very sensitive landmine, and I. I have a habit on this show of throwing out landmines, and I'm completely okay when people want to step on them, and I'm completely okay when people go, next question, please. Well, I don't know if I, I, don't know if I want to step on a landmine, or I don't know if I have anything to say about that that hasn't already been said by folks that are smarter, you know, yeah. than, than me and more informed than me. But yeah, you're talking about the, you know, the, the unfortunate incidents that have gone through the the diocese here and and the split that occurred mm -hmm. in the in the church here. So yeah, I, mean, I don't know if I have anything else to to say other than everyone is working through that. One thing about the Episcopal Church is we're not afraid to argue. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, or as like you and I used to joke around is, you know, if you see four Episcopalians standing around, somewhere there's a fifth. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're not afraid to argue and they're not afraid to, yeah, have a glass have of wine. A, have, a, have, a, have a drink over have and a, have, have some discussions. Yeah, have a glass of wine. But, but, you know, it's interesting to watch All Saints. All Saints is now worshiping at the school, at All Saints Episcopal School. And, you know, so so it's interesting – to, to kind of watch them, they're going into a new chapter. What we remember about Easter is that God is constantly bringing new birth. God is constantly bringing um, new life. And so I, I have to think that this is going to be an experience where, where that parish will receive in some way new life. And for all the parishes, regardless of what side, you know, you're on on this, in, 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 on the argument, my hope and my prayer is that there'll be, you know, new life for everyone and healing as well. It was a difficult, it was a difficult situation. It was, it was incredibly, incredibly difficult for me because some of my closest relationships were like, we're gone. Yeah, we're sure. Out. sure. And then, I mean, some of the most formative relationships I had and then who, we're still very close to this day, but a lot of them had a lot of confusion and couldn't understand why I was staying. Sure. And my and they were very vocal about why they were leaving and they said, Why are you staying? You know, and I said, Well, you know, the, the, the good the good thing is is that's a conversation between me and God, not me and you. Which I found actually shut down the conversation very quickly, right? <laughs> call it, you know, call it, call it probably the play in the card yeah, out of yeah, the conversation. Exactly, exactly. Because, you know, for me, it was also the geographic location of where All Saints was, was not far from my house. And the day that I was, that I walked through the doors that parish, I had made a committed decision on something I was very, very angry about. And I had made a committed decision. And it was not a good decision of what I was getting ready to go do. Somebody had angered me. I was pissed. And I was confused. And I had made a committed decision. And that's the thing is, when you have some people in this world that commit to go do something... They really don't understand what that word means. When you have a United States Marine that's been trained to go take lives, when we commit to something, it's not a rhetorical statement. It's a little different. <laughs> it's right. a little different. Right. There's some follow and, through. And, and again, I was at a dark, bad sure. place in my life. Sure. There was a lot of confusion surrounded by my life. I didn't have the right influences. I didn't have bad influences. They just weren't the right influences. Right. And, and so... I had said, all right, you know what? Time to do something about it, put up or shut up. All right, I'll handle this. Because I went back to that natural state of what I was trained to be, which was an instrument, right? In the Marine Corps, they train us to be instruments, instruments of death. That's what we were trained. And for, we won't dive into details of what was going on during that particular time in my life, but there was, there was an event that had occurred with an individual that had caused that switch to flip that hadn't been turned on since I left the Marine Corps. Mm. And I was on my way to go do something about it. And I, and when you're committed and you don't care what the consequences are, those are, you're committed, you don't care what the consequences are, and you've been trained to be a very effective instrument of delivering death. Yeah, that's scary. That is a very – that is the trifecta of a very bad cocktail, right? Yeah, that's scary. Yeah. And and I was. Like there was, there was no change in my mind. I didn't even care. And I turned – and actually I was – I was so kind of out of my mind, right? I wasn't on drugs. I wasn't drunk. I wasn't anything else, right? And again, I was a cop at the time too. So how that would have ended would have been really, 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 really bad for me. And so I, I accidentally took I – was, I was just so, you know, just convoluted in my the, you know, cloudiness in my brain that I accidentally took a left, <laughs> you know, and, and on the direction I was going – and and I was like, and then I was even more angry now because I was pissed because I took the wrong turn, right? But I took the turn, and then you know how when you're when you're going up and, and Crestline splits right there at the the point of the church, right? Yeah, there, right. Yeah. 
And then on top of that, I got there and it was just, I call this a weird metaphor or whatnot, but I got there and then I was angry because I took the wrong turn. And then now there's road splits and do I go right or do I go left? And now I'm really angry. The proverbial fork in the road. Fork in the road, literally. And I'm looking at the fork in the road, but I looked up and here were all these people walking into All Saints Episcopal Church. And that moment was enough of what I feel was the hand of God saying, slow down, hero. Stop. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. And then I was sitting here, and it was a really weird, like, "Mm." all right, now I'm more confused. And then I was like, pardon language, and like Father Madison's heard this at a time or two or thousand out of my head. I was like, fuck it, I'm going in. (laughs) So I park, I walk through the doors. And it was enough for me to go. It was enough to. It was enough for me to turn the switch back off. Sure, right. Sure, because that's what people don't really understand about instruments of destruction. Is when that switch is on, we are there to perform, mm-hmm. and we are there to perform because that someone else made the decision that it's time to turn it on. It's time to turn it on. And that's the reason we've been the number one fighting force of this whole entire planet. But there was something about that that was enough to go, whoa, 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 turn the switch off. You're not in that environment. That is not who – it'll always be a part of who I am, but that's not who I was presently. And it allowed me to turn that switch off, go through there, and it allowed me just to stop and go, whoa, whoa. Then the gravity of the decision that I had committed to – Set in. Set in. And yeah. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But that is why All Saints Episcopal Church in its geographical location that day, because of that, coming up on that fork in the road, right. stopped me from making a very serious mistake. Yeah. More than, I mean, it's actually even more, I don't even think mistake even gives the credit gives credit to what was going on with me and where I was going, what I was going to do. And, and so I was like, whoa. And then you come through the door a few weeks later, this community, and it literally, it literally, I would say, allowed me to redeem my soul. (laughs) And that's why, and, and that's, and, and that was something I couldn't really explain. I can articulate it now, but at the time I couldn't articulate it to this group of community of people who's going, man, y'all don't, y'all don't understand. <laughs> like, you know, the day I walked through the doors of this, had I not done that, none of us ever would have met. Yeah. Unless you, you know, enjoy visiting prison. Yeah. Yeah. Unless, right? I, unless I was yeah. a, a jail chaplain. Right. Yeah. And so that's why that meant so much to me. And, yeah. and you know, and, that, and, and sure, I, I had my opinions of, you know, what I thought was appropriate or inappropriate with everything that was going on with, you know, two powers fighting with each other and everything else and agreeing or disagreeing or whatever. So that's why it became very a place for me of safety, sure. feeling safe. Because when you live a world of not feeling safe, and that was the safe place. So I didn't feel safe in my house. I didn't feel safe anywhere. Evil was lurking around the corner. It even allowed evil that day to enter me, you know, to go, hey, yeah, it's okay to go do that, right? And that's why that became that. And that's why when I knew that when I started the show, I was like, man, i got to get my friend David in here because you helped me get a pers- – you helped me evolve in my perspective, to go, guess what? I, I actually can be in a position where everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, thank you for that. My gosh, well, thank you for sharing that. I don't think I don't think we've I don't think we've talked about that, have we? No, I, we I did. We, did. We. we, we, yeah, we I, I might have sugarcoated it when we you were may, sitting yeah, there. You yeah, may, yeah, probably, you may have given me the Cliff Notes version. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing about getting older and whatnot is you start going. You know what? I don't have to sugarcoat anything. I can say whatever I want. You know what? Listen, if I've only got one listener for the show, then fine. I only got one listener. If I got a million listeners, then great. All right, yeah. whatever. I'm not doing this for anybody else. I'm doing this because I want to bring great guests on and have great content. 
And what I wanted the audience to do was to meet somebody that I have a great admiration and respect for that does help shape lives and souls. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully. And that, you know, that's all. I don't know how much of that I do compared to God doing that. Well, you're through, the messenger. Yeah, through, yeah <laughs> through, through the folks that God, you know, ordains and tasks. But, but yeah, I mean, that's why, that's why I love parish work. Because you never really know why folks are showing up, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so through parish work, we're able to have those conversations and build those relationships and really talk about these kinds of things. That's why I love school work too because I think it's even easier to do that within the school context because you're embedded with the students. Yeah. You know, you're, you're in the school, you're with the students on a day to day basis. A little bit different from parish ministry where you get to see folks, but on Sundays, and then we would get together maybe one time a week. I can't remember. Yeah. I think it was, if things. it wasn't weekly, it was every other week yeah. of going to do dinner. Yeah. A lot of Tommy's burgers, yeah. you know, and and all of that. But yeah. all, all ministry is relationship. And so, you know, be it in the parish, be it at the school, it's all it's all relationship. And so that was what you experienced in that community was being able to build those relationships and 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 come to a deeper understanding of of the plan that God had for you. And you came to a deeper understanding of God's grace and God's forgiveness. Yeah. And that question about not if I sin, but when I sin, am I going to recognize that? Am I going to repent? And am I going to return? And you, you've you experienced that, as all of us have. Yeah. And it, and it also became the, you know, I, so I'm a big reflection guy, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm always self-critiquing and dialing back and going, hey, you know, what, where did the path I'm currently on, where, what, I think this is where I pivoted to come down this path, but was that really where? And I, I go further back and further back. And I do think that that moment there on that day, you know, at the church at the fork in the road was really the first time that I, I if I really had to dial it back and put my finger on a single day was that was a day that I was like, time, time, time to start making some changes. Yeah. Right. Time. Time to start making some changes. And, you know, and it, then, all right, so this show's less about me, but I got to tell my part there <laughs> is so you, you to go on to All Saints Episcopal School. What drew you to go do that? And I mean, what, what was it? What was it about that? Well, I felt so when I was at the church, part of my responsibilities included teaching at the school. Uh, so the kind of conversation that you and I had mm -hmm. at the parish, I felt as if I was able to have those types of conversations with more regularity at the school just because the opportunity for ministry was everywhere at the school. Not that it wasn't that way at the church, but it's the difference between, you know, having a couple of those conversations a week versus every student interaction you have has the potential to have that type of transformation that you experienced in my office at the parish. Yeah. So I felt as if I was right, wrong, or indifferent. I felt as if I was having a, a greater pastoral impact in school ministry than I was in parish ministry. Don't know if that's right or not, but that's what I was experiencing. And so that's what really drew me to school ministry, just because I just, you know, every moment when you're walking the halls at a school, it presents a potential conversation with the student that, you know, may not be going through the same, the same exact same situation that you were talking about, but that same type of wrestling moment. And so you've got an opportunity everywhere you look around to have that kind of interaction, those kinds of conversations. And, and I had, you know, even as a, part-time teacher. I was teaching, I can't remember, like two sections a semester. So I, I wasn't even on campus a ton, but I just felt like I was having an impact. And so I was like, hmm, I may need to do more of that. And I also, you know, as I was finishing up, it's called a curacy, kind of like a residency at, at your, at a parish. The first assignment you have as a priest was a curacy. And so I was coming to the end of my curacy there and I was, 
you know, discerning am I called to be a rector? Am I called to be at a different church? And I kept coming back to, they don't have a school. I think I'm going to miss school ministry. And that was an indication to me that, okay, wow, I think I have a calling to school ministry. And so I need to test that. I need to go and work in a school full time and test that ministry. And I did that and I fell in love with it. Okay, so you get all the way up there to becoming headmaster, right? Well, assistant headmaster and then so head right. of the upper school. Yeah, that's principal. right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So then you're doing the thing that you very much love. Why leave that? Yeah. Why right? exactly? Yeah. And that's another one of those, you know, God works in kind of crooked lines for me, not in straight lines. <laughs> As I look back at the different changes I've made in my ministry, I do tend to get called out of situations where I don't feel like I'm done. Yeah. I'm really enjoying it. I'm loving it. But God has a different plan. Yeah. And so I, let's see, I think I wrapped up about, oh gosh, about 10 years working at the school. I wasn't at the school full time until, I can't remember the dates, but but maybe eight years. I can't remember. But I, but I had a nice long run at the school. And then during that time, I also became aware of and became involved in the Southwestern Association of Episcopal Schools, which is the professional organization and accrediting body for Episcopal schools in the Southwest. What does that, what does that mean for the audience? Yeah, thank you. That's a lot to unpack. So private schools, uh, and it's a little different from state to state, but private schools in the state of Texas are not directly overseen by the TEA, but they are accredited. What is the TEA? TEA is the Texas Education Agency. Okay. But they're accredited by a variety of different private school accreditors. So that's the entity that makes sure the curriculum is, you know, up to par, that the instruction is is up to par, that the campus is safe, that everything that you expect at a high-level school, at a high-quality school, is happening. Well, the accreditor is the organization that, that makes sure there's accountability and makes sure the school is doing what they're supposed to do. And so what I, I served on a group called the Standards Committee which is the committee that receives all the accreditation reports from schools and if a school is applying to be accredited, all those things. The standards committee works through all that. The interesting thing about that work is I had this great aha moment that accreditation work, particularly accreditation work with Episcopal schools, brought together things that I love. I love the theology piece. I love the school piece and the school administration piece. And then the my legal train actually played a role in accreditation. And how do we make sure all the, the schools are following all the guidelines and all the legal pieces they should be keeping an eye on? And so I really kind of fell in love with that kind of work and serving schools in a different way. So I had to leave the school and go into a different type of ministry where I was now serving those who served in Episcopal schools. And that was the same same type of ministry, but just a little bit of a tweak, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that's how I ended up in association work. And then now I'm doing association work. I'm the executive director-elect for the National Association of Episcopal Schools. And NAES isn't an accreditor, so we don't do accreditation, but we provide professional development, consulting, workshops, webinars, Anything that we can do to support those who serve in Episcopal schools, we do. And so that's the work that I do now. And I miss teaching. I miss not, you know, I miss not being in one school on a day-to-day basis. But I love the fact that now I can an impact in the quality of those programs on a national level. Really on an international level, too, what I'm learning is it's really a global group. We have a, a handful of schools in Haiti. We have a handful of schools in different parts of the globe. So it really is a – it's a global organization. I'm, I'm enjoying that. A lot of things going on down A lot of things going on. Oh, my gosh. Haiti is another area that just – every time we look up, there's just horrible things coming out of the news. So uh, obviously our prayers are with them as they're recovering from 
a variety of challenges that they're going through right now. And we in AES has a, a handful of different ways if people are interested in supporting Haiti, supporting those schools. We have a variety of, of ways that you can be of assistance to us. If you go to uh, www.episcopalschools.org, you'll see our, our first banner is supporting schools in Haiti. So please, if you if you feel called to do that, please do that. Man, so what's it like going from street level to 35,000 foot level? Does that make sense? That question makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you're asking what's it, you know, what's it like from going to a day-to-day basis, you know, living day-to-day at a school to the work I'm doing right now? You know, I miss elements of it. I I miss, like I said, I miss teaching. I loved that. I really love, and what I, what I get to do now is stay in contact with former students, which you want to talk about what a blessing that is. It is so much, it's wild. I have students that are entering their 30s, which is wild because I'm about 28. <laughs> so I, don't know, I don't know how that math happened. I may be 29. That's some math for Marine stuff right yeah, there, right? I don't know how I've got stu- – I somehow have students that are in their 30s and I don't I don't think I have students with grandkids yet. I definitely have students with kids. Mm-hmm. But I miss, I miss that. But it's so much fun to stay in touch with them. But the biggest thing is – the diver- I think the biggest thing is the diversity of this country and just the diversity of how schools across the country understand what it means to be Episcopalian. Tell, tell me more about that. Yeah. And just you know. again, we're, we're, we're a church that is so diverse yeah. that it, it's just – it's wonderful to see different communities in different parts of the country – that have very different perspective perspectives on education, on what does inclusion mean, all those things, but still be tied together by this common bond of being an Episcopal school. And so it's really – it's pretty cool to be able to watch that. And there's a lot of dynamic tension, you know, and what it means to be an Episcopal school. And one of the great things is that in AES, we get to work with schools on that and we get to – to provide resources as schools are really digging deeper into what it means to be an Episcopal school. I mean, you know, even without the pandemic, there's been so many conversations about about diversity and inclusion and equity and what does that mean and and the reality that a lot of our schools came into existence in in the fifties. And 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 what does that mean? You know, right after Brown v. Board. A lot of a lot of school, a lot of private schools came into existence. Talk talk about that and, Brown v. Board. What that means? Well, I mean that you know we're just talking about the idea of the end of segregation. Yeah, and so you know some of our schools in the DNA of some of our schools is the idea that they were created not for inclusion but for exclusion. I'm not saying that's why they exist today. But, I am but there was saying, a period of time. Yeah, I am saying that we need to have conversations about what does that mean. Yeah. In in in, in our in in our DNA. I mean, again, that's not why they exist today. But but what do we what do we do with that? And what's the appropriate way to have those conversations? I mean, these are these are these are intense conversations. And and how do we how do we set up an environment where we can have true discussion about this, true dialogue about this without trying to exact a pound of flesh, if that makes sense. Yeah, without invoking some emotions where people are flying off the handle, right? It, it's very challenging. And, and and that's a big, that's going to be a big part of, of my ministry with schools moving forward is those kinds of conversations and trying to figure out what, what does it mean? One of the, you know, one of the pillars of being an Episcopal school is this commitment to social justice. That's not new. That's not something that we just came up with, you know, a year and a half ago. I mean, that goes back to, you know, some of the earliest prophets, Hosea, Amos, where we're talking about, you know, God has some questions about how are we treating the marginalized? And what does that mean for us today? And so this idea of a dedication to social justice, which is deep in the in the spirituality of Episcopal schools, that's been an area that all of us have been wrestling with over the past, you know, several years. 
And I don't know. That's going to be that's going to be that's going to continue to be a big conversation for us moving forward. Wow. Do you find it to be very intriguing how you can be at one school over here and then another school over there, and it's a difference of night and day? I love that, but yeah. it's true. Yeah, and, and it's part part of that is part of that can be regional, and part of that can, it doesn't even have to be regional. We can go to you know we can go to Dallas where I've got tons of schools, and and you know. The ethos of one school, Episcopal school, is going to be a little bit different from the ethos of another Episcopal school. But those four pillars, that idea of a commitment to worship, a commitment to religious formation and study, a commitment to community life, and a commitment to social justice, that's what keeps all Episcopal schools kind of on the same path, even though they may be in different places on the journey. But yeah, it's very and, – and that's one of the biggest challenges that I have, even within my – in my previous job, even within my region of six states, there was a diversity of opinion. Now that I work with the entire country, there's even a greater diversity of opinion. How do we how do we provide resources for all of those schools to have rich, rich conversations around social justice, taking into consideration their local context? So when I think I asked the asked this question, right? Is so when just because it's an Episcopal school does not mean that the student is Episcopalian, though, right? The the vast majority of the students that are that attend our schools are not Episcopalian. Okay, well let's talk let's talk about that. Yeah, that, that that's it. one of the hallmarks of Episcopal education that's different from other faith faith based traditions. Honestly, so in some faith based traditions. The majority of the families that come to the school are all from that particular tradition. It's different with Episcopal schools. So part of that's just a function that we're a small church. Part of that is by design in that we're creating ecumenical environments. That's the world we live in. So that's the world we want our kids to to, to be raised in. And so, yeah, I, the number changes a little bit. But the national average, about 85% of families that choose Episcopal schools are not attending an Episcopal church. So why would they choose an Episcopal school then? Because, again, it goes back to those four pillars. They they want their child. I wasn't and I wasn't a member of an Episcopal church when I attended. I was a Catholic when I when I attended All Saints. I wasn't I was not a member of an Episcopal church at all. So I was part of that eighty five percent you know group that was not not attending an Episcopal church. Why do they choose us? Well, they choose us because they, they, I think, they appreciate how we approach faith. They appreciate how, how we approach religious formation that is not, here is everything you have to believe. Just sign off on that and you're okay. I think that's why they choose. I think they choose us because they know it's a Christian school that is going to walk alongside your child within the context of a, a you know Christian worldview. But we're going to let your student, we're going to let your child come to some of those answers on their own. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons why why they choose us. You know, our schools academically are stellar. So they, you know, that's a big piece of why families choose Episcopal schools. The community life piece is, is wonderful. We create communities where all are welcome. And I think families want their kids to be, to be part, part of that. And then obviously how we approach worship, I think, is attractive to families that choose us. And that's a tricky situation because we have to create worship environments that fuel Kiddos that are well, one we have to do it on a developmentally appropriate level. Yeah. So you know, you were if I remember, you went to eleven fifteen service at all. Were you eleven fifteen yeah. or not? Yeah. yeah. So you went. That to, was the high mass, right? Yeah, you went to yeah. right I one. Like, yeah. Because see, I came from the Catholic side of yeah, things too, yeah. so it was so, the most familiar for me. Right? Yeah. So you know, the yeah. challenge with worship with an Episcopal school is it can't look like right one. Sunday with incense when you've got five-year-olds. Right. So we have to create an environment that's inspired by our tradition, which is found in the Book of Common Prayer, but is developmentally appropriate, which means we've got to reach kids where they are developmentally, but is also appropriate 
for a wide variety of religious perspectives. So we've got to be able to provide a worship experience for kids that are being raised in a Christian tradition, from kids that are being raised in a different religion, religious tradition, and from kids that, you know, maybe aren't coming from a religion, a religious background. We have families that choose our schools that are not particularly religious. Maybe they you know, they don't have a church home. They're not interested in having that, a church does home. Does that ever just to sit there and amuse you a little bit to, get, to go, what? It, do, it doesn't amuse me because it all goes back to this is a ripe opportunity for ministry for yeah. me. I have no interest in going in and, you know, converting them or yeah. <laughs> forcing them to become a member of an Episcopal church. Yeah. What I absolutely have an interest in is ministering to them. Yeah. Meeting them where they are, having conversations with them. I what I loved was folks that would never darken the door of a church would come in and have a conversation with their child's chaplain. Safer environment. They've been able to kind of watch me, you know, so they kind of trust me a little bit because they <laughs> they kind of, you know, he's okay. I, I think I can have a conversation with him. And then that allows me to have a moment of true ministry, what God does with that, that's God's business. Right. Maybe nothing will come of that. Maybe they'll be driving down the street and see a church and end up, you know, in a church service and have an experience there that can lead to who knows what. A fork in the road. A fork in the road. Maybe it's someone who I'll look up and they'll be, you know, ordained and wearing one of these collars like me. Who knows? So I view it as an awesome opportunity because in what church do I have the ability to speak to that number of unchurched people? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, what, what it's from, from a, from a ministry perspective, it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's the ripest field of ministry that you can find. And so that was, that was one of the great experiences I had was all the conversations I had with unchurched people. But for whatever reason, they wanted their kiddo in a faith base. And in a lot of ways, we become the church for those families. And that's fun. And you're getting one heck of an education. Yeah, getting a wonderful education. I mean, we really do. Again, I'm biased. I have to say this, but I really do mean it. I mean, our schools are amazing. Our schools are absolutely wonderful. And kiddos get world-class education there and and hopefully we are preparing them to go out and continue the mission of Christ you know that's one of my favorite bible verses the, this idea of the great commission and you know we're we're being called to go out and to minister to others and I love in Matthew's gospel where it says you know let your deeds let you let your good deeds be be such that when people see them they'll give thanks to god and that's what that's what we're doing in schools. We're, we're equipping kids for ministry. We're sending them out. And hopefully what they're doing out in the world, how they're changing the world for the better, is going to make people say, okay, wow, that's God right there. Man. Well, that's why I like schools. That's, you know, I mean, I say this over and over about almost every single episode I I. I've had look. We've hit being on being on the air for a year, and uh, I mean, Aaron, my producer, gave me some numbers yesterday, saying seventy five percent of podcasts don't make it twelve months. That's huge. That yeah, uh, you've done a year. And, That's huge. Yeah, and uh, so this has been this has been great. And one of the things that amazes me is even the people that I really, really, really do know. When we sit in here and have a conversation many things unfold that I only thought I knew the person across the table, right? So incredible, incredible. So we got anything else that we've missed and we touched about touched it on. I mean, we could make this an eight hour oh, episode yeah. I mean, easily. My gosh, we, you know, what else do you want to talk about? I mean, we yeah. can talk about, I mean, we could talk about God and Episcopal schools and ministry and things that are going on. In the world right now, oh my gosh, we could go all sorts of. We could, we could, so, and, and, and you and I have a history of being able to have some really good, candid conversations. Oh yeah. Like when we had lunch several weeks ago, when we were going to record the series then, and then the equipment went down, and and it was really, 
everything that's a curse is also a blessing because it, instead we went and grabbed lunch and, and it was just great going, man, I hadn't seen you in a long time. And it was just great to catch up. Barbecue right? is always a blessing. It is always Barbecue's a blessing. always a blessing. But no, yeah. so here's what we'll do. We'll save some of those other topics for the next episode. I like it. I like it. So let's tighten this one up and go back to 20-year-old self. The infamous question I love to ask people is like, look, if you had a time machine, or let's say God showed up and said, hey, guess what? There, Father Madison, I'm going to let you go back to 20-year-old self. You got five minutes and 20-year-old self has said that they are willing to listen to one out of the many things we would tell 20-year-old self. What would be that one thing? 20-year-old self. So let me think about that. So that's what, junior in college, senior in college-ish? Is that right? Yeah, probably right now. Yeah. I think I, was, I think I was maybe 20 my senior year. I can't remember. What would I tell 20-year-old self? Okay, a couple of things. One, I would tell 20-year-old self to relax. That's what I would have told him first and foremost. Relax. Everything's going to be okay. So that's the first thing I would have said. Second thing I would have said is don't make plans. Don't make plans. Just you're going to go where God wants you to go and just be okay with that. And then I think I would have told 20-year-old self to stop playing it so safe. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think I would have told 20-year-old self to maybe risk a little bit more. Maybe risk a little bit more. You'll be okay. I think I would have told 20-year-old self to 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 risk a bit more. I'm, you know, I, I think now we talked about this, just as we get older, we kind of get a little bit better about not caring as much about what other folks mean. Mm-hmm. I'm not caring as much about what other people's think people think. Don't mean in a you know dangerous way or anything like that. Yeah. But just, you know, knowing what you're called to do, embracing what enthusiastically embracing what you're called to do, and then let the chips fall where they fall. I think that's what I want to say. Sound advice with some wisdom getting dropped on an audience from someone that I trust so much. That is that is that is sound. What's so- the thirty second Summary of what you would have told 20-year-old Jeremy Spam. You know, no one ever asked that, funny enough. And here's what I would tell, because one thing's for sure is I didn't play it safe. <laughs> right? About you would not risk have told yourself about a risk taker as they get. Is I was I risk averse. I was way too risk averse. Oh, man, I was like, I there was no risk adversity in me, man. I mean, it was just like... I mean, look, I was a jump before checking there the, the, if there was a parachute or not. I would tell, I would tell myself, don't treat your body like a septic tank. Take better, yeah. Take, take better care of yourself yeah. because, guess what? It turns out that you think you're made of twisted steel and sex appeal and made of Teflon can jump tall buildings in a single bound. But as it turns out, when now I am round in the corner of a half a century old. Wishing I could go back and talk to one year old self and saying, hey, you can still have a good time, but let's not overindulge too much because guess what? Feeling half a century now, right? But, okay, so people want to learn more about what you're doing, sure. the Haiti the, the, the Haiti project. Where, where do they go? So a couple things. One, feel free to email me. Love getting emails from folks. Love love chatting with folks. So feel free to email me. My email is davidepiscopalschools.org. All spelled out, no punctuation or anything. David at EpiscopalSchools.org. Also, check out our website. The website is EpiscopalSchools.org. And like I mentioned, you'll be able to see that banner to assist Haiti schools. There's a variety of different partnerships that, that are referenced there. And so that would be a wonderful thing if you if you feel called to do that. But feel free to reach out. I love love visiting with folks about Episcopal schools. Jeremy, this has been so much fun. Thank you for the invitation. No, thank you for coming on. And anybody in the audience, if you missed any of that, you can always go to our website, My Experienced with an ED, myexperiencerealtor.com. Click on podcast. Scroll down to David Madison. Click on the read more. You can connect from there. And Always, you can go to the homepage if you're looking to buy and sell real estate anywhere on the planet and click on Find a Trusted Professional, and we will absolutely make sure you get the appropriate advisor to help navigate your financial interests in that sector of the world. Thanks for coming on, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Good to see you. Absolutely. Good to see you, man. Yeah.